Thank you, Professor, Professor Kumar Swami. Uh, well, as the year comes to a close, it is appropriate that we have a book discussion on MEI's flagship publication, Persian Gulf 2020. Uh, I believe it is a record and analysis of developments in the region in 2019 and India's relations with countries of the region and forms a valuable record. To introduce this book, we have uh, Dr. Samina Hamid, assistant professor in JNU and co-author of the book. She is an eminent expert on the region and an expert especially on energy politics and is well known to this forum, so I will not take more time in introducing her. Uh, Dr. Samina Hamid will speak for 20 to 25 minutes and then answer questions. Please put in your questions in the chat box. Uh, this will help us prepare for them. Dr. Samina Hamid. Thank you, sir. Thank you for that kind introduction. And good afternoon to everybody. COVID, in my life, COVID had brought two things. Camera, which is the last thing I would talk into, and Persian Gulf series. And my co-authors, Professor Kumaraswamy and Dr. Mudassir Kamar, have vested me the responsibility to introduce the book. So with deep courage, I take up this mantle to introduce the book. Persian Gulf dominates India's political, social, economic, cultural interest in the broader Middle East. So close is the region to India's geography that we in official circles call it the extended neighborhood. And we in our friendly circle call it our region because our bread and butter comes from the understanding of this region since decades. So this Persian Gulf region, we all can reasonably conquer, has constants which are enduring and changes that are phenomenal. And when these two interact, the picture is far from simple and straightforward. And as years come to close, and we are right now at this very moment, Many of us often wonder how much have we been able to keep track of all that happened in the region, all that mattered to the region, with all its changes, complexities, nuances, how many hours we spend in compiling information on issues that is close to our interest. And still we spend hours in surfing in digging out details, the finer details which we tend to miss out while following the mainstream media. And we all wish it was all in one place. Sometimes looking at the chronology of things, of events, of happenings together and across the region helps us to draw more meaningful and deep analysis. And Persian Gulf series steps just here to give a, a, an in-depth analysis, puts together all that, 
all the important things that, that have unfolded in the region in one volume. And when we talk of India's relations with the Gulf, it examines how India has been able to navigate those crises, challenges, taken up the opportunities that uh, the region was throwing in a particular year. The Persian Gulf series started in 2012. And since then, it has taken a detailed examination of the region year after year. And Persian Gulf 2020 is the eighth uh, series, uh, eighth volume in the series. Earlier, it was an edited volume, but for the sake of greater coherence and uh, timely completion of the volume, we shifted to co-authored ones. And in the last three series, it's co-authored. And we are working with our publisher, Macmillan, Palgrave Macmillan, so that the volume comes somewhere in the middle of the year, not as in the end as we are having it right now. Invariably, some uh, due to COVID delays. It is an evolving series and its scope has been substantially enhanced. Persian Gulf 2020 offers an updated information across more than 40 indicators covering wide ranging demography, political, economic, cultural, environment aspects, and will continuously evolve to include more. Even though it's a part of a series on a standalone basis, it presents very extensive metadata on the domestic issues of the Gulf, the political, the security aspects. Each chapters analyzes the development of the region. So 2020 it covers the events of 2019 from January to 30, and it puts it all in, into a single volume. Uh, as an annual series, it rigorously undertakes stock of analysis and analysis and makes an appraisal of the progress, breakthroughs, and critical gaps in India's relations with the Gulf. Uh, to the best of our knowledge, the closest thing, uh, we don't have a volume on India's, as an annual uh, series, on India's relations with the Gulf, uh, sorry, uh, we don't have any uh, annual publication on India's foreign policy and relations as a whole or as a country. The closest thing we have is the annual report of the MEI, which is largely a narration of the bilateral visits. Persian Gulf as a series undertakes a more rigorous, detailed, analysis of India's relation covering over whole gamut of political, economic, social, and cultural issues. And the basic template is that each chapter analyzes, there are nine, uh, nine countries that we have taken, including one chapter on uh, the GCC, and each country has been analyzed in its development for that calendar year. And India's relations has been 
uh, evaluated against that. And in this task, my co-authors, Professor Kumaraswamy, Dr. Mudassir Kamar, and myself, we have tried to look into all the dimensions, all the different dimensions of the issues, events that was happening in the year 2019. And in doing so, we have consulted a wide range of sources. We've looked into national uh, official records, national databases, media reports, research reports, preferably from these countries themselves, and then to, to uh, converge it and supplement it with international data. And in doing so, we, uh, import, we find important uh, data on direction of trade and uh, investment partners, which helps us to understand underlying contradictions, the limitations of the political rhetoric in real life transactions. For example, President Erdogan was, was known to say that despite US sanctions, Turkey will not be, it will be impossible for Turkey to stop importing oil and gas from Iran. But we found out that Turkey's import actually halved during the year. And by mid-year, it almost halted. So broadly, the political landscape of 2019 was marked by three major things. The heightened US-Iran uh, uh, US tensions, the continuing GCC and Yemen crisis. The US-Iran US tension intensified in the region, often conflagrating into a regional, a regional crisis. And that led US to send troops for active deployment in Saudi Arabia, the first such after complete withdrawal in 2003. Trump's policy of maximum pressure, the ensuing economic hardships, coalescing with angry Iranians, venting their anger in an unprecedented way against even the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei. All this coalesced to make Iran more resolute and belligerent. And India's relation with Iran was reeling under the shadows of these events. And when uh, the waiver on US sanctions ended in the mid of the year, India halted its crude oil, India halted its crude oil imports. The costs were very high, which India could not bear. There were efforts by Iran to use, to, uh, to prompt India, to compel India to use the rupee uh, mechanism as we have uh, done it before, but that was largely unsuccessful. India has often been criticized for not following an independent policy, but the constraints are the cost. And in this aspect, India was not an outlier. And we found out that even the most vocal friend China actually reduced its exposure to Iran oil, oil sector. It pulled out of South Park gas field in later 2019. 
even European Union could not make much headway in their alternative mechanism. So one can understand that pursuing internal uh, uh, India's in interest was not in contradiction of its independent foreign policy. Nevertheless, India continued its engagement with Iran, continued to balance its relation with Iran through Chabahar court. And the whole year, there were series of sustained engagements at foreign office level, at joint commission, trilateral meetings. On the front of Chabahar court, even though India got waiver from the US sanctions, but we found out that there were increasing difficulties in procuring heavy duty equipments and ironically from the Chinese and the European companies themselves. We found out that a long-standing tender was called off because of lack of bid, uh, bidders. So the progress had been very slow. Only two births were completed by the time we submitted the manuscript. And about five lakh tons of uh, cargoes moved back and forth from Afghanistan to India through the port, mostly wheat, uh, dry fruits, textile. On the intra-GCC crisis, the crisis endured, but there were certain sobering moments also. Qatar participated in the Peninsula Shield exercise in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabian and Bahrain football players participated in the Doha event. Saudi Arabia's uh, King Salman extended personal invitation to the Emir of Qatar, which he did not uh, take it and sent his uh, representative. So the relation remained frosty. And in the midst of all this, India you know, uh, embarked on its traditional traditional policy of non-interference and managed to get its energy supplies and remittances. And noteworthy in the intra-GCC rift was that despite the embargo on Qatar, it continued to, dis uh, it continued to supply gas to UAE through the Dolphin Gas Project. We also found Qatar's reliance uh, increasing resilience economically and politically. And much of these details are given in the book. Conflict in Yemen. The crisis was enduring and ongoing, led to a lot of humanitarian crisis. We all know that. But the crisis also spilled over in an economic warfare for control over fuel imports, tariffs, uh, monetary policy, exchange uh, money exchanges, and fuel tankers were lying were on the waters, waiting to be offloaded. And ironically, Yemen, the fuel prices, especially that of diesel, was skyrocketing at a time when international oil prices were falling. The Houthis banned the use of currency issued by the bank of uh, central bank in uh, um, Aden. So amidst all this, India didn't have much to do. After the evacuation, the trade almost came to a halt. And nevertheless, India still participates in the anti-piracy operations in the Gulf of Aden.
India's most immediate needs in the region is that of energy and expatriates. India imports 64% of the oil and gas from the region. India's traditional relationship with has been friendly with all the, uh, all the countries, but it lacked the dynamism. It lacked the intensity of political and diplomatic engagement so far. And all this changed with the coming of the Prime Minister Modi in 2014, who spurred a more activist foreign policy and displayed the willingness to engage the Persian Gulf countries politically and diplomatically in a matter that it was that was demonstrated or demonstrative of India's potential. And it did embark new enthusiasm into the relationship. The visit to Bahrain was important because it was the first visit ever since, uh, since India's independence. And in Saudi Arabia and UAE, besides a number of MOUs that were signed across a wide ranging fields of cooperation, Rupee, an Indian version of the international payment card, was launched. The government has definitely elevated the Gulf, Persian Gulf region in India's security calculus. On the visit on UAE, an important development in 2019 was the visit of the external affairs minister in the 46th OIC meeting. It was pivotal for pivotal moment for India because it reversed the embarrassment India faced in its participation in the first OIC conference in Rabat. But we should not read too much to it, into it because it did not materially change OIC's position on, on Kashmir. There was continued engagement with Oman, Kuwait, and Qatar. In case of Qatar, we have, Qatar is the largest LNG supplier to India, and we had a long-term agreement, 10 years, to pick up 10 million tons per annum of LNG. The challenge that we face is that of price alignment. The price under the contract have often been doubled to that prevailing in the spot market, and India has been negotiating with Qatar to align these uh, prices. Iraq is a low-hanging fruit. It has overtaken Saudi Arabia as the top supplier of oil. Nevertheless, our political engagements with Iraq is not intensive enough to engage Iraq substantially. India had been active in Iraq before 2003, especially in the power sector. Iraq faces the challenges of reconstruction, bottlenecks in its energy sector. So India's participation in construction project in exchange for lucrative oil deal is worth examining. The region hosts many wealthy countries in India's immediate neighborhood. And India seeks to capitalize on this through expansion of trade, investment, and commercial ties. At the same time, India tries to leverage its huge market potential, its growing economy, its 400 million plus uh, middle class, its vast technical pool of 
uh, vast pool of technical skills. But the problems and challenges are paramount. And notable among them is the trade is disbalanced, mostly concentrated in Saudi Arabia and UAE. And if you look at the composition of trade, the content of trade is of low value addition and low technical content. Most, mo with all the countries, a major section is comprising of agriculture and, agricultural and edible goods. So our exports to the region has been, has been very sluggish. As far as investment is concerned, both India and the Gulf looked at each other with a lot of interest. India wants Gulf investment in its infrastructure, which needs more than $800 billion of investment. And infrastructure has often been identified as one of the very, you know, crippling constraint on growth. So this is the, where India needs to bring in more infrastructure, uh, investment, sorry. Investment from UAE has come in ports and now making more inroads in uh, logis inland logistics. But investment from other countries are more a portfolio investments and which we all know are very temporary and transitory, often volatile. And as compared to the potential is only a trickle. We have seen multifold increase of investment from Saudi Arabia and Qatar during uh, in 2019. There were two mega deals that was announced in 2019. One was a joint investment of Adnok and Aramco in upcoming refinery in Maharashtra. And the other was that of Reliance uh, picking up Aramco stake, 20% in Reliance oil to chemical business. And both these deals are hamstrung for many one reason or the other. In intra-GCC issues, India has not been able to engage GCC as an organization because of political bickering. Nevertheless, a certain level of functional continuity is seen and they've been able to harmonize their standards, their custom uh, administration procedures and can be an apt platform to deliberate on mutual progress and su share success stories. One vital interest of India is its 9 million Indian community living and working there. Despite job nationalization efforts in these countries, Indian community has increased in all, all the countries except Saudi Arabia. And today the biggest challenge is to facilitate the return of these expatriates into this region. COVID has delayed, if not derailed, many of these commercial engagements. But the opportunities are also emerging. And we need to have a more sustained engagement with this region. We have given a couple of policy suggestions. And one of them is to have more periodic and institutionalized meetings between different sections of the civil society, between media, between academia, the scientific community, the literary community, and we have to institutionalize this. Indians in the Persian Gulf regions have been earning dinars and dirhams 
but india is yet to earn a brand name for itself though the region has earned a lot of respect and interest but we are yet to evoke that confidence so that both the nations can take the relation both india and the persian gulf countries can take the relation to the next level and for that we need to le leverage our knowledge economy our startups our it's but the main challenge is to put all our standardization and accreditations at international at par with international levels while building relations with the region it is important to build relations between india and indians to connect the flag the money and the people this is an ongoing and evolving series and feedbacks suggestions will be very valuable in enhancing the scope of it thank you very much for your patient hearing i'll be looking forward for more suggestions comments and queries thank you very much thank you sabina uh, that was a very comprehensive uh, review of the book and uh, i i wanted to just mention that in a book like this which is a record but also provides indications for future portent now that is the importance of such records as to does it contain certain seeds which give you indications as how the tree will flower in the future now unfortunately we suddenly been hit by a black swan event immediately after the year that you have covered but i i found that there are certain aspects in the book which have long term trends and i'd like you to comment a little bit more on that one was the trend of the slowing global economy and a movement away from hydrocarbons that you have identified in the book and what it means for the persian gulf economies and their social contract so i'd like you to comment a little bit on that the second was another very interesting uh, alignment or a quasi alignment that you identified which was qatar iran turkey axis or quasi axis whether it will endure or not endure we do not know uh, we see there are new movements between turkey and israel again and uh, things are always in a flux and a year is a very long time in the persian gulf and the third thing which was very clearly identified in the book was the strengthening relations between india and the emirates and the kingdom of saudi arabia you mentioned that in your opening remarks would you try and elaborate a little bit on that and then i would like the two other co-authors to come in initially also thank you thank you sir uh, should i respond or uh, you want my co-authors to come in first no first you and then uh, we ask then we have mudassir finally professor kumar swami <laughs> okay okay 
thank you so much yeah uh, regarding the uh, future projection see future is predicated on a number of factors in economic jargons we say business as usual scenario then there is a trajectory if you make a quantitative leap or there is a trajectory if you you fall off the trail and you go on a you a spiraling down trail so yes we have identified a couple of things the long trend we have ident as i told you the export growth india's export growth to the region has been very sluggish and this is the region for concern one case in the point is the issue of petroleum products now india has been exporting petroleum products almost 50 billion dollars per year and it is among the top 10 export items but if we minutely see in the region our exports of petroleum products have been consistently and often steeply falling especially in case of saudi arabia and other countries except for uae it has been falling in all the countries one reason for this there and ironically this is against the increasing imports of these products by these countries they don't have sufficient refining capacity they are increasing uh, they are increasingly importing these uh, petroleum products and they are doing it from china and they doing it from uae now if we look more closely at this saudi arabia already has a 25% stake in a chinese refinery 2019 has picked up two more a uh, few uh, stakes in two more upcoming refineries so the picture is clear if there is delay from our sides in bringing certain joint ventures in refineries on online we are not able to clinch that deal we are going to lose on this front so this is one set of scenario as i have also pointed out our exports of high value commodity especially the top 10 exports that are listed in india's top 10 uh, exports they have a very low penetration in the region and in cases like oman and kuwait and bahrain in some cases we are actually losing ground so unless that's what i say you have to create a brand value so unless we are more aggressive in penetrating this region as a brand we will be losing our share in their exports uh, yeah. we'll be losing in uh, our share in their uh, markets and that doesn't bode well for us because we have to balance trade and we look forward for more profitable trade venues from this region now uh, to the second question covid covid has reared its ugly face at a time when global economy was already in recession had a very sluggish growth and for this region the year 2019 the oil prices were lesser than 
after the initial spurt, it actually uh, declined substantially to the extent that many of these countries had negative growth rate in the third and the fourth quarter. So COVID has substantially, you know, uh, it has put India also in a retractory mode. So India and both uh, Persian Gulf countries are in retractory phase. And they are facing uh, some uh, phenomenal challenge in terms of uh, huge budgetary deficits, about $5 billion, which has been assessed, hundreds of billion dollars in debt. So they're definitely going to tighten their belts. And uh, they have you know, shaved off a lot of capital expenditures. And overseas investment will be put on hold. So when all these things come in, the big billion dollar question will be, I will put my money where it matters most, where the returns are most. So the question of efficiency, question of uh, cost cutting, question of productivity, question of returns become very paramount. And in this context, if I have to bring that joint venture proposal in which Aramco and uh, Adnoc has agreed to pick up 25% each, Estimates are there that have said that the project have been revaluated and now the cost estimation is of $70 billion. Now that makes it one of the costliest project, even rivaling that one in Kazakhstan, which was the, the last uh, costliest estimated project. So one can understand that a lot of steam will be, you know, will come out of the enthusiasm. So COVID has, you know, uh, created new complications. And what will matter is the survival of the fittest. And uh, I think I've answered a slow growth uh, aspect I've included in my uh, this. Uh, strengthening ties with UAE and Saudi Arabia. Yes, I mean, uh, our ties with UAE and Saudi Arabia are definitely robust, has gone to a uh, next level, is more or less aligned to our needs. But again, I'll comment more on the economic side. In Saudi Arabia, again, we need to go beyond the oil dominated engagement, joint ventures are important. And joint ventures in more, you know, frontier areas, more knowledge intensive, IT enabled are important. In UAE also, the same thing applies. We are still, you know, the, as far as UAE concerned, what we have noticed that India's relations with UAE is coming at a cost of its relations with other countries also. As far as trade is concerned, I've noticed there are certain items which are exported, which are being increasingly exported to UAE, and the same items are being exported to some uh, the other regional country like Oman is exporting more from uh, importing more from UAE and importing less from India. So there is a possibility that our over, uh, our over engagement 
or too much focus with uae is coming at the cost of our relations with the other countries and our engagements in all other there's a wide range of sectors where we can collaborate and uh, cooperate but again the punch line is efficiency speed and scale the change is phenomenal in these countries now these countries have you know uh, one of the lowest bids for solar projects for desalination projects so 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 phenomenal is the change so we have to rise to the situation and again promote india as a brand value if we have to take our relations to the next level maybe my co-authors can also uh, add into what i have said just now thank you thank you samina may i i will request uh, dr mudassir and professor kumara swami to come in right at the end and before that uh, i'll subject you samina to some more questions which have come in from the audience uh, one very interesting question from shirada is that uh, uh, she wants to know she says that uh, she wants to know how does the gulf look at india is india considered a stable and welcome partner do they wish to engage more with deeply with india there's a lot of warmth with a lot of interest but in my assessment it still doesn't have that confidence that 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 is illustrative in a variety of ways i think we all we all get a sense of you know warmth and enthusiasm with which the the leaders of these countries uh, embrace our uh, our uh, our prime minister ministers we have, we all have been watching that very closely but if we very carefully observe the message that comes when when in kuwait they insist they insist that the accreditation has to be for our indian engineers the accreditation has to come from their own engineering societies and there was this issue that was taken up when they came and they were apprised of all our ranking and accreditations we can get a sense of when they say that only these selected recognized hospitals can give covid certificate what does it mean is still still very skeptical about how we function so again while they they want to engage but still they are very cautious we can see it in investments uae are star investors we call the 10th largest till very recently we have been uh, knowing it to be nevertheless it has still 1.5% of the total cumulative investment that has come into the region but if we look at the figures closely a very interesting trend message of conscious is there in the year 2019 the total calendar uh, the calendar uh, year of 2019 the investment was something around 768 something some figure around that if you look at the investment of the financial year 2019 and 20 the figure comes to 300 something it means 
whatever investment had come had come in the earlier first quarter and very few, less amount of investment had come in the remaining years and if you look at the parallel uh, parallel uh, events in india we were you know decoupling our foreign direct investment policy with non debt instrument policy as we call it ndi we were decoupling the regulation of foreign investment between rbi and the central government so when such policy flip flops takes place there's a lot of and in this decoupling there was a lot of you know uh, uh, a lot of blurring of definitions and a lot of things became amorphous so investments are put on hold and i said and if i you read it about my apprehensions about covid that only the best will succeed now we look at the figures uae is not among the top 10 so money will go where the smartest person is ready to put business into so again uh, to summarize what the overall picture interest yes warmth yes comfort yes but confidence yet to come thank you samina uh, i always said that uh, if you stood in the gulf in the musandam peninsula in the easternmost tip of the gulf what you would see if you looked across the sea which is what the ancient mariners arabian uh, seafarers would see is a huge landmass on the on the horizon and that is a fact of life and remain a fact of life you have a second question is that uh, recently our external affairs minister Jayashankar pointed out that India needs to shift from traditional diplomacy to strategic diplomacy with a thrust on economics in West Asia. So, Dipan Vita wants to know how was 2019 different from that perspective for India. 2019 presented a lot of opportunities for India in that particular aspect. we look at iraq as an example iraq is facing a lot of reconstruction challenges we all know and of the 80 80 plus billion dollars that was pledged in the reconstruction conference only a fraction of it has come the protest has also you know december uh, uh, stalled much of and disrupted much of the oil production and oil sector also was hamstrung by a lot of political uh, political shuffles and protest also so iraq needs investment it wants to sell its oil it is cash strapped so a sensible investor would probably club these opportunities if we see things in totality and would have something like construction projects in lieu of oil deals so this this kind of strategy 
is what I would call as strategic economic engagement. Have oil deals where you can pay, they need money at this point in time. They are cash strapped. The oil deals where you can pay upfront for some time will help you to bring oil prices down. Prices are quite low. So if you negotiate such contracts at this point in time, it is for mutual benefit. So this is the kind of, you know, engagement, which is, which can be strategically imagined would probably fit into that. And if you look at Iran also, if you monitor closely Iran's engagement in Iraq, we have seen Iran's export of gas and electricity to Iraq was, was, uh, was given a waiver from US sanctions. Now this gives us an, an insight that if our projects have a definitive humanitarian con content or have a very vital environment element to which everybody converges, you can, you know, circumvent, navigate through these, you know, uh, hurdles that often come in commercial dealings. Uh, thank you. Uh, you have a very, uh, another interesting question from Bhupendra Kumar Singh, which is uh, how India and Gulf are cooperating for renewable energy. Are they cooperating at all? And uh, as both have an agenda to increase share of renewable energy in the energy mix, especially in the post-COVID era. Yes, the cooperation has definitely started and uh, many of the Gulf countries have joined our uh, International Solar Alliance, uh, which India has taken a frontal uh, role in. And there are investments, minor though, in uh, our renewable energy um, companies like Adani, Qatar has invested in the renewable energy arms, wings, Master is there. Aqua Power is there, Alfanar is there uh, from Saudi Arabia and Gujarat. So it has started and it needs to be scaled up. Okay. Uh, we have uh, uh, a detailed question from Minakshi Sardar, which is uh, you have touched upon the policy recommendations for India. Uh, she would wish you to elaborate a little bit more now on that. Would you like to do it now or later up in your summing up? I can uh, see we had given a couple of uh, policy recommendation and it would, not, it would be unfair on my part to reveal all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, one that I had already sounded, I can elaborate a bit on it. See, uh, till now, most of the engagements are at political level or at business level. The delegations, business delegations goes, the officials goes. We need a more substantive, 
and sustained engagements and and it has to be institutionalized institutionalized in the sense there has to be a known structure there has to be a portal for interface if we google any of our business joint business council india uh, bahrain joint business council forget about india ue business council forget about small countries councils they don't exist there is no web page how would a person who had some success story would share his experience with other with his counterparts we had a very successful uh, you know uh, enterprise in kuwait we had uh, we had offered bio remedial of oil spills there in their oil field we have done that but that experiment that success story was never replicated in any other parts of the region so we need to institutionalize that so that the structures are known their interface portals are there for rigorous you know uh, interaction and feedbacks and again diplomacy dollar and people they all have to you know coalesce with each other work in tandem with each other reinforce with each other and then approach for any it's all about you know projection of your image your brand so that is one of the important uh, policy recommendations uh, thank you uh, professor roy choudhury has a question about brand india may i ask her to pose her question herself uh first congratulations to the three authors um it's always interesting when we get a publication from the west asian lobby and it comes every year religiously thank you um my question was very simple sabrina because brand imaging of india through software has been the major move at least in east asian nations my quest question to you is why is it not it making some sort of an impact in the gulf considering there are um you know um larger population engagement which is typically what we say in the east asian countries that is probably the reason why it took a longer time for us to use a soft power uh given this why do you think we are not able to get forward with our soft power uh no no i think uh, we have gone far ahead as far as a soft power projection is concerned and that is why i said it india evokes a lot of warmth a lot of enthusiasm so that softness is there okay. that comfort with working with india is there and we can see the warmth uh, with which our prime minister modi was received the land allocation to the hindu temple the visit to temple in uh, in bahrain all this evokes of 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 what do you say um of the connect of that heart to heart connect okay what i was talking about was that corporate branding 
where you are recognized for your credibility reliance productivity in the corporate sense okay. thanks thank you tamina uh, may i now uh, like before i uh, uh, requesting alvai to pose his question himself may i just mention uh, as a response to dr roy choudhury's question once i was uh, driving from uh, abu dhabi to dubai to catch a plane and uh, we had a small accident on the way a car was totaled and uh, i had to catch the plane uh, so uh, emirati stopped next there and then uh, they said all right ha huh? you are from india we'll, where, where, where do you want to go i said i want to go to the airport he said we'll drop you and then for the next one hour they kept on singing to me songs from indian movies to entertain me <laughs> albert may i have you on this <laughs> on that thank you sir uh, thank you sir uh, congrats ma'am for this new series again i in fact was a part of it uh, for four series uh i have been promoting this book ma'am uh, while i was with the think tank as well as with the government for two years uh, many of the researchers as well as uh, ex you know diplomats and the serving diplomats have really applauded this series but uh, a commonality of questions that they raised at me behind the purpose of coming out with this book is the analysis part of the book so they have asked me a number of times about whether we are placing more importance on the data that the authors managed to connect collect or analysis part of those uh, uh, data or both so where do you think the priority lies for persian gulf series ma'am over the, because i have not been a part of it over the last 3 to 4 series uh, what is your target audience and what is where is the priority right now thank you sir thank you <laughs> uh see the template of the book as i have uh, told in my initial remarks is to analyze events that have unfolded in the region for the whole calendar year in the greatest possible detail and widest possible dimensions so in that sense anybody interested in knowing the region can benefit from the metadata that has been provided they all can read even if they don't have to understand india's relationship but by itself 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 these metadata these metadata there's some issue there's some issue am i audible would everybody yeah. mute please yeah thanks sir thanks so anybody who is interested in the region can have their own aha moments and we have conducted an invasive inquiry through wide ranging sources national international media government sources think tanks databases so as to see the convergence and the discrepancies in the narrative so that is one part two the second part that analyzes india's relationship that is for the consumption of students scholars policy makers 
and even we've tried to bringing those details where even a corporate sector can get an insight as to what the changes are in the region what are the opportunities from which business viable business can spring as as we all know today your headache is my opportunity so the challenges that confronts the region the detailed narrative of say the energy sector what are the problems what are the issues so they do give insight even to the business community to see where they can benefit so it caters to a wide uh, range of audience thank you uh, before i request uh, dr mudassir and professor kumar to come in a few comments from you uh, professor ketichian thank you i actually had a had the two small questions um one of course india is a huge country population wise whereas the gulf countries are relatively small and limited but it seems that the indian government prefers to deal with the gulf countries on a bilateral basis not on a multilateral basis that is the preferences is please let me know whether this is your reading as well and whether i am uh, correct in this analysis that perhaps the time has come to do what the european union is doing that is to assign a particular diplomat in riyadh to deal with the entire gcc as a unit the same thing that was that's also happening with countries like korea and others south korea that are assigning a diplomats in riyadh to look at the entire gcc to more or less coordinate different countries policies that's one question and the second as i was listening to your fascinating presentation uh, which covered a lot of very interesting grounds it reminded me of something that i had heard years ago when i was in seoul south korea uh, the korean workers that were throughout the gulf countries toiling between the 1960s and 1970s brought back with them the seed money that really transformed south korea into what it is today which is the 11th largest economy on the planet now of course i understand that india is a much bigger country and that the numbers cannot be compared but what in your view prevented all these millions of indians that toiled throughout the gulf countries to actually bring back the seed money and invest in india in order to boost its economy to the degree that it ought to uh, show the results unfortunately we have not seen that so I, i'm sorry to be to be off on the second one i need i need to really clear it in my mind some more but i i am talking as as i'm thinking i'm thinking as i speak to you as well about this but this is something which might be useful to think about in the future research activities to make a comparison between korea korean workers and indian workers and how they contributed to their respective economies 
Thanks. Uh, thank you, Professor Kichichu. And uh, uh, fascinating questions, which I leave completely to Samina to respond to. Yeah, thank you, thank you. They were really uh, billion-dollar questions, as I would call it, call them. Uh, for your first question, yes, you have actually, you know, uh, said what one of our policy recommendations is to have to have a GCC mission in India, and uh, what prevented India from engaging GCC as a bloc was the political bickering. The, uh, the intra-GCC fighting. So India's traditional approach was not to get into that. So it preferred to deal with GCC countries bilaterally. One such avenue where it could have dealt with GCC was the, intra, uh, was the India GCC free trade agreement, which did not, may, uh, which did not progress in any meaningful manner after 2009, although we tried to revive it in 2015, but not progress, uh, no progress has been made so far on that. So that could have been one venue where it uh, it could have taken place. But yes, as of now, it is bilateral. And one of our policy recommendation is, as you have rightly pointed out, that others are also doing, and we would greatly benefit if we do that, because these GCC committee, uh, uh, GCC uh, organization have many subcommittees, which very routinely meets and have been, uh, you know, quite successful in harmonizing and coordinating their economic policies, at least. So uh, India would definitely uh, stand to benefit in this respect. And for your second question. Most of the workers, most of the expatriates who are there are low-skilled, semi-skilled workers employed in construction sectors, domestic sector. And they do send almost their complete saving to the families back home. And it has benefited the Indian economy in some sense. For example, the state of Kerala, it contributes nearly 20% of the state GDP. But it did not contribute in the way, as you have pointed out, as in the case of Saudi Arabia, because the people who are sending back this money are, you know, are workers. They are not like entrepreneurs who could, you know, invest it prof uh, profitably. They, it has increased their living standards, no doubt. They have built houses, but they could not, you know, invest in profitable ventures where the, it could be used as a seed money. And that's a good suggestion that the Indian government can work with these Gulf returnees and help them to plow these money in profitable ventures. And we will definitely take up more substantially in our coming volumes. Uh, thank you. We have already uh, overshot our limit, but uh, we'll extend it for another 10 minutes or so. May I now request uh, Dr. Mudassir Kamar to make his comments? Uh, thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, I wasn't really 
prepared to make a comment but uh, thanks for the opportunity and first of all uh, thanks ma'am for uh, you know introducing the this series i mean this volume in the series i think you have very effectively uh, kind of uh, you know put across our collective you know thought in terms of what we can it together did so thanks uh, a lot for that i'll just make three uh, quick points uh, one is about uh, which uh, you raised the point sir in the beginning about the geopolitical developments i think uh, what we are looking at or what we are seeing is that all the countries be it turkey or saudi arabia or you know other other regional countries also they are now uh, looking at the future looking at a new uh, kind of uh, uh, administration as far as the united states is concerned and adjusting to the expected changes Uh, accordingly perhaps that, that is something why we are looking at turkey trying to kind of uh, you know uh, uh, not reverse but uh, kind of main debate of its relations with israel uh, and then gulf countries also trying to kind of uh, 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 you know the end the, not end the crisis but make some progress to try and you know work towards a resolution of the qatar crisis uh but i think the larger trend uh, of iran being the challenging part as far as the regional you know geopolitics is concerned and uh, indian foreign policy is concerned i think that will remain uh, so, and and we'll have to look at that in terms of how it pans out uh, the second point uh, is about uh, the uh, the larger uh, india india's bilateral you know uh, relations i think Uh, the point which uh, professor kishishian you know mentioned and thanks for raising that question <laughs> and as ma'am said that one of our policy recommendations is that it the time has come for india to uh, you know kind of take it further and look at the region uh, more collectively uh, and not forget about the micro issues at the same time so time has come that from micro issues from bilateral issues we progress it to much larger you know framework and i think that is something which uh, which is very important at this stage uh, some progress has been made but a lot needs to be done and it is perhaps our collective responsibility and that brings me to the third point so the whole idea and and uh, maybe i can respond to the point which uh, alwait has raised and he was part of the you know uh, series in the early stages uh, four five uh, uh, issues uh, uh, and he contributed on uh, very specifically on iran and then you know on other issues as well uh, but yeah i mean this this dilemma has been there and what we wanted uh, uh, want is to try and bridge the gap in terms of information and analysis both uh and and if i remember uh, if our initial meetings with sir and alwait also you would remember that the first thing was to try and encourage more people to study the region and try and understand the region in a much comprehensive manner and come up with new ideas so that was the early trigger uh, and 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 you know early uh, thought which went into it and i think from there on things have progressed uh if if for example i go back and look at the 2012 and the 2020 things have progressed significantly 
we uh, what we want is to try and kind of put more analysis obviously but there is certainly a lack of a gap in terms of data a lack a gap in terms of uh, information and i think that also is i mean that is one of the primary uh, or initial uh, aims which we wanted to kind of fill uh, so that is one of the reasons why we started and i think uh, we are here now discussing the larger issues so i think that would count for a progress <laughs> thank you sir uh, thank you very much and now may i invite uh, professor kumar swami to uh, make his comments and uh, since uh, 2020 has been an unprecedented year uh, when can we expect persian gulf 2021 to be on the table because that should make for fascinating reading oh thank you ambassador and um, and, and um, you know um, to answer your final remark uh, we finalized the manuscript in march and uh, that was the time covid was about to be recognized as a major event so we visualized that uh, 2020 would be dominated by covid besides iran and uh, we said it in march even though the volume is uh, coming anytime soon and we were able to read that in in that sense uh, we anticipated this is going to be a question about the data you know the purpose of a data is not to provide information data for us is an evidence to make an argument so if you look at the right through the book analysis doesn't mean that no you give a data in one page analysis in another page analysis have to be substantiated and that is what we have been trying to do right through the book the only difference between this volume and the earlier volumes were earlier volumes we did not have the benefit of an economist and therefore we were largely talking about the strategic issues without you know general numbers we didn't have a good economic data and economic interpretation to refer to foreign minister statement about we need to move away from the traditional and to have a economic centric diplomacy probably you must have seen the proof of our book even before we could see because if you look at it this volume is largely economy centric and that was possible only because of samina joined us and before that we were only we both could not manage our own individual finances so when samina joined us with a train as a trained economist we were able to put up so much data in public domain and our arguments even on the strategic arena is become much more valid for example as she was talking about erdogan's statement his statement about independent policy towards iran was not backed by data and we were able to say the same applies to china so china did not maintain the same level of oil imports from iran and we were able to do that on the ground but only one final remark if i can say is that no this is the eighth volume we had a few book events in the past but we never had a reaction from the flow we only told about the book everybody said i think so and we left had a coffee and pushed up today we don't have a coffee 
but we were able to benefit from the questions from the floor. And for instance, uh, whether it's Kishishan's questions about uh, do we uh, benefit from the uh, remittances? One can even go a step further. Can we use the skill of the Gulf returnees in improvising, modernizing our construction sector, for instance? They're still on the ancient uh, human-driven construction. Whereas the Indian unskilled labor worked in modernized construction process. So can we actually benefit instead of sending skilled people, can we benefit from the skills of the returnees? So we, these are the questions probably uh, we were never thought about it unless the questions came about. But, uh, you know, only thing we could say that uh, the COVID is going to be a dominant uh, discourse in this year. And uh, we are working on the volume. And uh, the only thing is we want to have the next volume by the middle of the year rather than in the end of the year so that more people will benefit uh, from this event. And I think I stop at this point of time, I'll leave it to you, sir. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Professor Samina, any final comments? Yeah, just that all these feedbacks and questions and queries are triggers of food for thoughts for the coming volume. And we hope to substantially upgrade it more rigor and look at it with much more rigor and bringing in new dimensions as it unfolds in the region. Thank you very much for all the comments. Uh, thank you very much. Congratulations to MEI for bringing out another volume of Persian Gulf 2020. We look forward to Persian Gulf 2021. Let me wish everybody, before I ask uh, Professor Kumaraswamy to conclude the last uh, MEI uh, webinar of the year, let me uh, take this opportunity to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And thank you very much for being here today.